This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, good evening. This is Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm Paul, and this is episode two of the United Before Fergie podcast. If you are watching this live on YouTube or Facebook, then please feel free to get your comments or your questions in. Uh, If you're watching the replay, hi. Um, So do still feel free to comment because we will get back to you. We'll reply. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on the platform you're listening on. This week, my guest is Revered United author Wayne Barton, writer of, I've lost count of how many books you've done now, Wayne. You've done books on Brian Greenhoff, on uh, True Genius by George Best, Eternal, the Duncan Edwards story, and The Last Busby Babe, which is the autobiography of tonight's very special guest, Mr. Sammy McElroy. Evening, Sammy. How are you, sir? Good evening. Very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on, on the podcast. It's not very often that United legend comes strolling in and uh, wants to sit with us and chat for half an hour or so. So really appreciate you um, you coming on board. Uh, Wayne, how are you? Yeah, all good. Um, <laughs> here because, um, you know, I get to spend my Monday night with Sammy and your good self and obviously with the United win um, yesterday in, in good spirits. Absolutely. Um, so, Sammy, I've got um, a lot of comments from my social media feeds uh, I put some posts out on Facebook and also on Twitter, and I will, as the the podcast goes through, I'll, I'll run through some of the the comments and some of the posts that I've had. And there are one or two questions in there that um, burning questions that people have always wanted you to answer. So I will I will get to those. Um, but we'll get started. So you, you've been back at Macclesfield now for about six months. Is that correct? How's all that going? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been back. I was asked back by um, Robbie Savage. Um, in a sort of a mentor role to help the coaching side of things, and uh, it's went unbelievably well. We we were crowned champions um, last week. We we got the trophy at the weekend there, which was fantastic. That's the second, um, you know, champions. Uh, sorry, league champions that Macclesfield have done in the last two seasons. So the club's on the way up. Uh, the club's always been in my heart since I've been a uh, manager there for seven years. Mm-hmm. 93 to 2000, I had great memories of my time there. Very, very, very successful we were getting into the Football League from the Conference League 1, League 2. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And um, I was delighted when Rob- Robbie gave me the opportunity to come back uh, in a mentoring role and I'm enjoying it immensely. 
Fantastic. Now, you mentioned um, your management previously was Macclesfield Town. Uh, I had a, a tweet or a reply to a tweet from Mark Weaver, um, who said that he sold you Martin McDonald from Doncaster and uh, let him pay us when he got him promoted. And he did. Uh, never got the recognition he deserved as a player or a manager. And he's pretty certain that you got Macclesfield promoted from Division 2 on the smallest budget in the league in 1998. So I thought that was a really, a really nice, and you know, a different um, comment to make from a. Um, it's been McElroy Monday today, which sounds a little bit cliche and a bit cheesy, but it's uh, and, and it, Mark, not a, not a United fan, but he he t- he took the time to tweet that that's what uh, his experiences with you as well, and said you're very underrated as as a manager. How do you feel about that particular comment? What's a budget? <sighs> I've got no idea. Never, Isn't it a bird, bird stick in a cage? Oh, that's a budget. had a budget in my life as a manager, to be honest. <laughs> uh, he, he, he did say the smallest budget in the league in yeah. 1998. So, Yeah, maybe. and I, I wouldn't argue with that. that uh, but we, we uh, uh, with the help of uh, a pal of mine, Gil Prescott, um, we just ducked and dived with players. We, we looked at the players that were available and, and obviously the ones that were the cheapest. But, um, we, we we went for, but also we had a type of player that we wanted to come to Macclesfield, and then and that all stems from my days at at, uh, at Manchester United. I I wanted to play um, with my team uh, when I became a manager, and uh, we looked for those type of players who I thought and Gil thought could do that sort of role. Um, going back to like a four four two or a four three three players that could fit into that sort of system, and then. Um, as I say, we used to talk and Dave and try to get them, and they knew right away once we were coming to Macclesfield that they wouldn't be on any sort of a wage with other clubs, mm. especially in the conference days, going back to a few years ago. The conference clubs scored even back uh, those years ago, especially Southern teams were always on better money than, than, than Northern teams always. Yeah, so it's... It's it's interesting when you talk about the so the lower league teams where it is, you know the, the the differential between the lower league teams and then and the big leagues where the the, the budgets you know run into the the hundreds and hundreds of millions. It's it, it's proper grassroots, isn't it? Oh, it's right. without a doubt it's grassroots. And you know when I started off in in, man- in management in the early in the early nineties at Northwich when I retired as a footballer professionally, going into Northwich really opened my eyes. Um, part-time players, um, people who worked, which was their main job. And then I seen them, if I was lucky, on a Tuesday on a thir- or a Thursday night um, and then picked the team for a Saturday. That really opened my eyes about uh, management uh, at, at such a, um, a level where I was never in control, really, of my playing staff. Uh, they, they dictated when they trained, they dictated when they played. Uh, and it was a really, really hard sort of introduction of trying to be a manager. But it's the best thing I ever did. It learned me to try to handle players, handle their life, handle their um, the football side of things. When, as I said before, the job was their, their really breadwinner. If yeah. I can, I jump in and um, just oh. give Sammy a little bit of praise here, which he's not taking. So Sammy was um, he was manager of Macclesfield in the non-league. Now, if anyone's ever been involved in non-league football, particularly in the 1990s, it was full of local businessmen who would say that they have money and connections and they 
generally didn't have money and connections. They were looking to make connections through the connections to people like Sammy. So Sammy would come into non-league football or, or a big name like Sammy would go into non-league football and you would get the local wheeler dealer businessman trying to sort of um, climb up the um, society ladder in, in that way. Um, so it was a minefield, really, non-league football, learning to know, to trust, and, and so Sammy got the right people around him. But you're talking about a budget and having no budget. I think that's the value of um, managers. Perhaps you don't see it um, as often these days because there's even money in the lower leagues um, due to a drip feed from the Premier League. But, Paul, you will know exactly what I mean when I talk about the 80s and 90s. I know this is United before Fergie, but you'll you'll know what I'm, where I'm going at. Perhaps even the United before Fergie era, where the, it was a character of squads and players and teams that really made the difference. So what Sammy built was a team with character and, and you know, they played football the right way at a time when, you know, teams in the conference and the non-league didn't play football, they played hoof it. And, you know, really they had no right as a, a club with no budget and playing football, um, the anti non-league football kind of thing, really. And um, they upset the apple cart with that. So, Sammy's talking about sort of wheeling and dealing with Gil Prescott and, and stuff like that, but he really needs to take a, a large dose of credit. And I'm sure the Macclesfield fans um, do on a daily basis when they see him, but I, I just wanted to take this opportunity to do that because I know that he won't do it himself. Thanks, Ryan. And, and, and well-deserved credit, um, might say. So, Sammy, you talking about management, you played under two of the biggest characters in United's history. Arguably, they they don't get a lot bigger than Samat, um, and also the Doc. Um, yeah. In terms of in terms of the styles that each of those each of those put into their teams, did you pick any of that up when you oh, moved into management from your playing career? One hundred percent, absolutely one hundred percent. I was very very fortunate to have a little bit uh, of time with with Sir Matt, um, especially on friendlies, um, going back to Ireland. Um, where we go quite regular to either the north of Ireland or the south of Ireland. I remember going when I was 16 years of age with the team. Um, uh, I think it was 69, maybe maybe touching 1970. Um, I went to Bohemians with Sir Matt and uh, just to listen to him talk to the players. We had a friendly against Bohemians in the south of Ireland, 30,000 people there uh, on a Wednesday night. And they just go out, entertain these people. Let's play attacking football. Um, it was just a pleasure to listen and, and, and look at him. I, and the respect he got of such great players like Dennis Law, Bobby Charlton, Bestley. Um, you know, all those big names just listened to him and really wanted to play for him. But the, it's the way he came across as a man manager was absolutely second to none. But he thought about supporters. He wanted attacking football. He wanted entertainment. Uh, I got that off Sir Matt at an early age, and then um, through to Tommy Dockery, who who was the same. Uh, the Doc was an attacking attacking manager. He wanted to play the United way. If we win, we win well. Um, never talked about opposition. Uh, wanted wingers. Wanted flair players. Even from the back, we played out. And um, I've, I've spoke to Wayne about this before, about the reputation that Pep Guardiola got um, 
with his sort of pressing game back with Barcelona in the days. When we lose the ball, get it back as quickly as possible, the way Barcelona did. Tommy Dock did that with us at Manchester United. We played with a high tempo passing game, finishing with a shot across, making a goalkeeper work, testing defenders. But once we lost that ball, we had to get it back uh, as quickly as possible. And that's the way the Dock built this team round. And it was an absolute pleasure to play under those uh, two managers. Yeah. I mean, we spoke, our first podcast last week was about the 77 Cup final um, because it still holds an extremely special memory for um, for, for lots of United fans of, of a certain vintage. Um, and, and we will touch on that as well as the, um, the 79 game as well, which perhaps doesn't have, evoke such happy memories for United fans. But um, it, it's been about a year since um, since your book, The Last Busby Babe, um, came out. How have you found the reception to that has been in that year? Absolutely uh, remarkable, really. I mean, I, I, I travel about a bit, as you know, and um, everywhere I go, uh, and I'm being absolutely honest and serious here, um, the, feedback, the feedback I get from the book is absolutely fantastic, and uh, so many people have enjoyed it. Um, and every time I talk about the book, to be honest with you, two people, I always mention Wayne because the two of us um, worked unbelievably um, doing the book. And uh, it was a pleasure uh, to work with Wayne through it. But the response I've had has absolutely been fantastic. Not just with the United supporters, which is pleasing. Um, it's men who just uh, looked at the title of the book um, and, um, and read it and, 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 and were very, very complimentary about it, which... Which which pleases me very much. I've, I've had a great response, to be fair. Fantastic, Wayne. How has it been? Have you found the reception to? I know you wrote it and you are the author, but how have you know how have you found that the reception has been to the book in the past year or so since you published it? Yeah, everyone. Um, it, it's a strange thing writing, uh, being a ghostwriter, um, especially with United Legends, because I, my experience is, well, you know what a ghostwriter is supposed to be. They're supposed to be invisible. And um, Sammy went out of his way to sort of make sure that everyone knew that I'd worked on the book, you know, that, you know, everyone has been giving me credit for it as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Around the time of the release of the book, um, I made a joke quite frequently because Sammy and I did, I mean, this just goes to show the measure of Sammy. We did something for BBC and he insisted that I was there on the radio with him. Um, and I had no reason to be, you know, but he would say nice things. And so the comments that I would talk about would be um, how, you know, working with Brian on, on his book, um, I reached out to Sammy to, that's over a decade ago, I reached out to Sammy to see if he'd contribute for it. And, and he did. Um, and I think I'd, I'd mentioned even then, oh, you know, if you ever fancy doing another book, um, let me know. Um, and it took a long time because that we, I don't know, working on Gordon's book, working on a book on the second division season, various other weird incidents that would lead Sammy and I together. Like um, someone contacted me once with a scrapbook that they thought belonged to Sammy. And I contacted Sammy and it turned out to be a scrapbook that Sammy's dad had made for him when he was a kid. The, the original journalist who wrote his book in Stan Liversidge, is that right, Sammy? Yeah. Um, Stan Liversidge, yeah. He, um, he borrowed it in 81 and he just never got returned, but I was able to do that. And it just seemed like 
I think Sammy, you know, and, and I, because I kept bugging Sammy about it, and it just seemed like our paths were coming back together. Um, and Sammy reached out maybe three years ago to say he wanted to sort of finally get down to, to working on the book, and we and we made it work. And um, it's just, uh, you know, Sammy's played how many times for United, um, managed his country, managed clubs, and and his story is incredible. But the thing that I loved working on, it, the thing I loved about working on it was the fact that it's such a human story. It's actually a story of a man who happened to do these things. And he talks, you know, there was no holds barred with anything, really. He was telling everything in um, gut-wrenchingly honest detail. Like, um, I don't think there's ever I've ever worked with anyone who's been quite, certainly not in the footballing realm, who has been quite so open about their emotions. I mean, you were talking about an era where, you know, like blokes are blokes and Sammy's been quite open about his emotional connection, like leaving United left him in tears. Obviously he's been through, um, you know, both his parents dying in a very traumatic year. Um, and, he, you know, he's laid all these emotions on the line. So I think, and people have responded to that as well. You talk about the feedback that the book's got. People have connected with that, that's something that's resonated with them. Yes, Sammy's Mr. Manchester United, but um, the human aspects of it—that's um, been the re- the rewarding aspect—is that that people have picked up on that. So, um, yeah, it's just been an absolute pleasure. And um, just said to Sammy many times, it's just a shame that we can't do another one. Um, well, maybe we can. Who knows? And the, you know, there was a bit of a theme running through that with. Brian Greenhoff's book, Gordon Hill's book, Sammy's book, the book about the 74 season. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Sammy, about that 74 season is how important was it, in your opinion, that United came came back up straight away? And the other part of that question is, what do you think the implications would have been had that not been the case? Oh, well, the answer to your second part there, Paul, is uh, would have been an absolute disaster. If, if we didn't respond right away the way we did to get back in. Um, it was such a, a such a, a, a huge disappointment that a club like Manchester United, and really not, not that long after winning the European Cup, when you think about it in football terms, you know, 68, uh, the 74 when we go. Yeah, absolutely. For a club just to go from the, the highest pinnacle right down to relegation, it's just unbelievable. People actually uh, didn't even think that we could go down, um, you know, before we were relegated. Oh, it's going to happen. We're going to have a turn of luck. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Manchester United cannot be relegated. And and yes, we did. But that, that season in the second division, um, for me personally, um, was probably the best thing ever happened. I know at the time everyone was crestfallen and heartbroken, players, supporters, everyone when we got relegated. But that season in the second division really um, brought, when the duck got that team together, uh, it was the best thing for, for me personally. It, it's happened at Manchester United. The, the, the That team that he got uh, and built with the wingers, Stevie Koppel, Gordon Hill, bringing Stuart Houston, Little Arthur coming through, Jimmy Nickel on the right side, Alec Forsyth, Brian Greenough, Martin Buchan, um, you know, Big Jim Houghton and there, Lou McCarry, Jerry Daly, myself, uh, Stuart Pearson, Jimmy Greenough coming in, 
you know, it was unbelievable to play with those type of players at that time. And the football we played, home and away, that first season in the second division was absolutely unbelievable. And and seriously, fans, and Wayne knows this, fans till I see fans at Old Trafford when I'm working there, and they still talk about them days. It's remarkable how they talk about them days and put that team on such a pedestal, even though we only won, as I say, we won the cup. Uh, we've been to two other finals. Um, that side, runners-up. Uh, the majority of that side under Dave Sexton, runners-up. That's the closest we got to winning it. But it's because how we played, the entertaining way, or tried to entertain, them supporters loved it. You, you, I've got to be honest, you completely preempted one of the points I was going to make about the, the fact when you talk to fans at Old Trafford now, they continually talk about the 74 season. And um, arguably over the, I guess, the past 10 years since the United Before Fergie account has been up and running, the 74 season is by far and away the the favourite, the most favourite season of United supporters of that time, going to the Yorks and, and places like that where, you know, where you wouldn't would normally go you know, taking the town over. And we touched on this last week as well, Wayne, when United just, the Red Army just took over towns all over the UK and with their own, you know, you know their own brand of, of uh, personality and characters. And it, it seems that that was just an amazing, amazing season to be a follower, uh, to be following United that season. And, and that clearly comes across through tweets and posts and everything else. So, yeah, I, was, I was only two at the time, so I, I wish I'd been a bit older. It'd have been amazing. It's like it was like every time we sort of um, we we got the bus near the ground, um, all you seen was red and white. No matter who we played uh, away from home, this is you seen red and white fans and in, in, in their hordes singing, chanting. When we when we used to take the train down to London, um, the fans would be in the station waiting for us and, and, and supporting us. It was just incredible. And, and we had that sort of feeling that we can't let these supporters down. Um, especially we're in the second division where favourites are one of the favourites to go up, but everyone wanted to beat us. Every team we played home and away wanted to beat Manchester United. Um, and it was incredible the, the way the supporters got behind us um, and, and supported us. Record gates away from home, thousands locked out. It was just unbelievable. But that could only happen to a club like Manchester United. And that's why I'm touching on all that. It was so important that we came back right away. And then that second division to the first, uh, we ended the final, 76, 77. And um, they were unbelievable, unbelievable years. Unbelievable years. Yeah, that now from a player's perspective, how important was it to have the support of the fans behind you? And I don't mean that as a they turned up with their flags and their scarves and stuff, but the noise and the following, yeah. you know, was you know, and, and I'm guessing that was a, such a driver for the team. Is as you as you just mentioned, we don't want to let these fans down. No. Um, you know, it's That's so, so looking at it from that that side, was it? You know, you, you played for the fans. We're going. We're going to go there and put a show on. We're going to beat teams. We're going to entertain them because they've given us the support. You could have it very easily. You know, when, when the, the team goes down, people go, "Oh, there's second division. I'm not even going to support them anymore." But that didn't happen. No. And it just seems that the love just blossomed that even that even more for for that particular team that um, went through the second division. Yeah, totally the opposite there. Uh, that because we felt 
that right away from the very first game, there was a sort of a little bit of added pressure on us to say, you know, we have got to come out of this division. We have got to, uh, we've got to do it, and we've got to do it the right way. We, we, you know, we can't go into the second division. And Wayne touched on there about hoofing the ball from back to forward, which a lot of teams did in that second division, especially when we went to their ground. They tried to unsettle us with their tactics, with their uh, getting in our faces and not letting us settle on the ball and stuff like that. So we had to overcome all these obstacles. But right behind us was this magnificent support, uh, believing in us that we were going to turn it around, believing in us that we were going to get out of this division. And um, we had this sort of little bit of... Uh, feeling at early stages in that division that, oh, hey, look at the crowd here today. We can't let them down. We can't let them down. They've travelled to London. They've spent money. They've done this. They've done that. We've got to do the job. And that's the way we we never took anything for granted in the second division. Tommy Doherty, Tommy Gavana, uh, his coach at the time, would not let us rest on our laurels. We had to be on, on our toes every, every game. And we had a fantastic thing that Tommy Gavana used to do once we went to an away ground, we got off the bus. Well, the kit, the kit man, Norman Davies, put the kid out in the dressing room. Tommy Cavana said, right, get out in that pitch and go right over to them supporters and clap them and cheer them and whatever. And we did that every away every away game. And uh, it worked a treat. It got the crowd up. It got the crowd really upbeat, seeing us go over and clapping them and thanking them for the support. But, uh, yeah. We needed that support. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. How was it? How difficult was it to communicate on the pitch with such a noise like that? Or did you just have that kind of relationship with your 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 teammates where you knew what you each one of you needed to do while you're on the pitch? Because I, I can't imagine that would have been easy um, having that that sheer noise at, at Old Trafford and trying to do what you need to do on the pitch without clearly hearing what's going on. Yeah, well, we knew exactly when we were on the pitch, the way Tommy Doc, he, he was a, a great sort of like, he wanted us, told us how he wanted us to play. He had the players who, who, who knew what he was going on about and enjoyed what we, what we were telling us what to do. But once we got out there and you heard that, that even more excitement to, to want to play. And uh, especially at Old Trafford, uh, with the crowds we get in that second division time, it was, it was unbelievable. You know, the crowd in your name, every player right throughout the team. And um, when the first whistle went, away we went, and the crowd stuck by it the whole 90 odd minutes. Hey, it, it just sounds like incredible times, and, and I'm, I'm sure, like Wayne, wish we'd been old enough um, to have to experience that. But I, I, I kind of experience it through through the social feeds. Um, talking about that, I, I did ask for some comments about memories about you, and I want to run through some of those if I can. Um, Eddie, these are all on Twitter. So Eddie says, a team player full of running and box-to-box. Uh, Rob Whittle brings up the equaliser in the 79 Cup final, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Uh, Prior, I don't want to mispronounce his surname. I think it's Mahawat. I could be wrong. Sorry, Prior, if that's wrong. So Sammy's first match at Old Trafford was his first match at Old Trafford, which was Tottenham in November 1971. And he was a brilliant player for United. Uh, Nick, McElroy's through, McElroy's through, and McElroy's done it. And then Alan Sunderland went to to break our hearts. Uh, Ted uh, remembers the hat-trick against Wolves 
on the day that um, we signed Robbo on the pitch. Hear Me Calling uh, tweeted, two goals stand out, your debut goal v City and the second in a win against Liverpool in the 77-78 season. Neither were spectacular, but important because of who they were against. So what do you remember most about your your debut? I mean, what a game to be thrown into the lion's den um, against City in a Manchester derby. Yeah, I get all something. I, I Obviously, I get asked this question uh, quite a lot. Um, and it's one of the games, as if it just happened on Saturday. Um, uh, the way it happened, um, getting a bus from the digs in Stratford, number 63 to Warwick Road, walking down Warwick Road into the ground, straight up to Franco Farrell's office when he told me that I'd be playing and place of Dennis Law who failed the fitness test. Getting on the bus from Old Trafford to go to Davy Hume Golf Club, pre-match meal. Uh, before I left uh, Old Trafford, George Best coming up to me and saying, just go out there, play your normal game. If you score a goal today, I'll buy you a bottle of champagne, bring it in Monday. All these here stuff that uh, th- none of the players made a big sort of beeline for me. They just thanked me. Uh, well done. Uh, enjoy your game. No one made a fuss, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, they sort of gave me a feeling that they believed in me, uh, even at such a young age. And then, but uh, I must admit, getting on the bus and driving to Main Road, then my stomach started going a little bit when I seen the crowds going there and I seen people looking at me through the bus windows and didn't even know who I was. Um, it was it was just an unbelievable day. A uh, fantastic game, and it turned out uh, one of the best derbies still spoken about. Six goals, uh, me scoring the first one, and uh, yeah, it was remarkable, remarkable um, debut. Um, I loved every minute of it. Now, Martin Spencer on Facebook always meant to ask you, what did you drink the bottle of champagne that George gave you after the 71 derby, or did you keep it? I kept it for about eight years, believe it or not. Um, because it was from George. I hadn't got the, bo- the bottle to say to George, George, I don't like champagne. Uh, I've never had champagne in my life. Um, but because he gave me a cap for about years, um, and he opened it at some christening or whatever, um, one of my kids, I think. Uh, and, and then, But because it was from him, I, I kept it that length of time, over eight years. So you kept your phrase, did you drink it in the end or did you give it away or did... No, did I was at a christening. Um, okay. Uh, kids and uh, I just opened it and just celebrated it that, that way. I'm not too sure how I tasted after it years, but I didn't care because I didn't like champagne. <laughs> but it was opened in the end. Yeah, Martin also says that you're a walking encyclopedia of United in the 70s. Um, Mark Beard, on Facebook, said he went on the Legends Tour a couple of Sundays ago with you. Absolutely down-to-earth guy. Loved him as a player. And the stories he told were great insights to back in the day. Sue Jones, um, she loves you. Uh, she's a, You're a special hero of hers. The Last Busby Babe. And Pamela Anslow, also on Facebook, just put The Last Busby Babes. Uh, the, I have got more memories that I'm going to be, or more comments that I'm going to be sharing with you. One thing that comes up a lot is 1979. And we're 2-0 down to the Arsenal with, I don't know, six minutes left. Um, Gordon McQueen scores and then up pops the Sammy McElroy equaliser. Um, 
Tell me through that. What was going through your head at that point? Did you know there were six minutes left on the clock? Was it you were just playing uh, until the classic play to the final whistle? What was going through the um, minds at that, at that point? You're 2-1 down. You're about to equalise. Have we got time to turn this around? Well, I mean, the game, if you just don't, for a second, the, the game, I, I watched the game um, months later. Um, everyone talks about the four minutes. But Arsenal went two, two nil up, uh, and rightly so. They started better than us, whatever. But we had we had a uh, first share of the play. We had chances. Everything we seemed to hit um, went straight at Pat Jennings, Joe Jordan's headers, Stevie Koppel, the McCarry, all had decent efforts. Right it straight at Pat Jennings, where a little bit of a miss hit might have been in the net and stuff like that. And you begin to think this is not going to be your day, and then. Finally, and uh, with, with with minutes ticking away, uh, Joe Jordan crosses it, and uh, Big Gordon sweeps it in with his left leg, and two one. You're thinking, I always remember Big Gordon looking over to the bench and putting his arm up and tapping his, his left arm as if to say, "How long's to go?" Um, and we we're just thinking, right, two one minutes to go. Let's see what happens. And then we go right up the field. Arsenal give the ball away. And I happened to get that equaliser to make it 2-2. Two, two. And um, at 2-2, two, two, you're thinking extra time. I was thinking extra time. Um, and I'm thinking if we can take it in the extra time, because I looked at the kickoff when we finally got the kickoff to, to a 2-2. Two, two. I looked at Big Pat, Sammy Nelson, Pat Rice, who I knew, and they were deflated. They were absolutely deflated. They could not believe what had gone on. Seemingly waiting for the final whistle. Now it's thinking, oh, this could be extra time. And then the rest is history. You know, we go, Brady goes on a run to Ricks and Ricks crosses and Sunderland puts it in. Just unbelievable. Um, a high seconds earlier, seconds later, you've lost the cup. And that's another sort of four minutes I'll never forget. Yeah, I. I don't think any United fan who watched that match will ever forget. And I'm not afraid to say it was the first match I ever cried at um, at United. I was seven at the time, so you it was. <laughs> no, I definitely, I definitely weren't the only one. And uh, Mark Stringfellow on Facebook, the equaliser in the 79 Cup final. As a 10-year-old, he was ecstatic, only for his world to come crashing down 60 seconds later. He was heartbroken. Uh, Richard James, who's uh, commented in the feed, the first game of football he cried at because of the result was the cup final in 79. Um, you know, I think sometimes you forget 76 as well um, you know, with, with Southampton. I know yeah. the year later, the, the doc said, we're going to come back, we're going to win it, and he did. Um, but that 76, do you think there was a lot of complacency in the team at that point, thinking, well, it's only Southampton, um, no disrespect to Southampton, or, or do you think it's just one of those days where it just didn't happen? Um, yeah, again... Um... We were a young side, um, everyone's favourites, everyone's favourites because how we were playing, how we came up, um, did well in the league. There was a stage in the league where everyone thought we might be able to do the double. We were playing that well. Obviously, the league form just dropped off near the end. We got to the cup final. And after after um, losing that final, it was the quickest game I've ever played in my life. The, the Wembley's a big occasion. It's on from early hours in the morning, the TV, in the hotel, on the bus, to the ground. We are everyone's favourites. And uh, Southampton won it with their experience. 
they were totally more had more experienced players in their side. Um, Peter wow. Rodgers, um, Osgood, Jimmy McCallie, who got an ex teammate, Shannon. You know, they, they had more experience. Mel Blaith at the back. They just they cut with the, the day um, more than we did. We, I think they thought, listen, these are thinking they're just going to turn up in Wembley and win it. They were they were really up for the game. And um, even though their goal was a couple of yards offside, um, I hit the bar with a header. Uh, I should have scored, but it came off Panchon. I seen it late. It was just one of those days where it was Southampton's day. They 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 handled it better than what we did on the day. Yeah, and, and United fans that were there of that age will still say that it was offside. Um, they said, I don't care what camera angle you look at. That was definitely offside. Um, so, yeah, you know, bitter memories from 76 to the, the heights and the ecstasy of, of 77 when, obviously, Liverpool, who were dominating everything in sight then and came up against the Red Army and and and, and the United. And we and we and it was the topic of our first podcast last week was the 77 Cup final, just because it holds such a special a special memory. Um, do, do you remember much of the game, or was it just one of those just went in, just went so quick, and no. you had to watch it back to go? Oh, I remember that, and I remember that. How did how did that kind of work in your mind? Well, it was obviously you touched on there the the ducks then in front of the thousands of people that welcomed us welcomed us back, even when we lost the cup. They say we'll be back next year and win it, and um, when we. Uh, when we got to the final again and we're up against Liverpool, the rules from the year before were all reversed because everyone thought it was Liverpool's uh, day. Everyone thought they've won the league. They're in the European Cup final on the Wednesday. And in between, they'll win the FA Cup and they'll get the treble. Um, so that gave us a lot of better motivation. And the doctor, to be fair, and Tommy Gavana, they didn't play... Uh, a lot of emphasis on Liverpool, how great they were, how this, how that. We had to do our job. We had to um, match them in every in every part of the field and every player who you were playing against. We we had to match them, and it was all about that. But that side also had the eye on the seventy six and hey, let's make sure this doesn't happen again, even though it's against Liverpool. And uh, we had a little bit of luck in the final, which you need. I don't care you're the greatest team in the world. You need a wee bit of luck, and we had it mm-hmm. with a winner. But uh, it was such an amazing place to to win, especially an FA Cup after having tasted and losing it in '76. To win it against a team like Liverpool in '77 uh, was just a remarkable feeling, and it was so pleasing to see the supporters as well after the agony they went through in '76 to the joy in '77. It was amazing, absolute. What a difference! Unbelievable. I mean, in hindsight, would you say that 76 was a blessing in disguise because it just motivated and drove you on to 77? You don't you don't think about it at that point at the time. Mm. You think, oh, no. my God. That, that's yeah. good. Let's get out of Wembley when you lose it at Wembley. Wembley's the worst place in the world to lose. Let's get out of it. Uh, we all felt disappointed and let people down, families, supporters. That's how we all felt. We had to go back and we had to have sort of like a... Uh, the the dinner back in the hotel and it was just doom doom and gloom till people got a few drinks in them but uh, it was such shocking to lose when we were odds on favourites but more determined then 
to make amends the following season, uh, and especially against Liverpool, even sweeter. Yeah, considering how how they were sweeping up everything before them, they were um, a good. They were a cracking side. But you United to... always had something against them, though, didn't they? It was always United always fancied themselves against Liverpool and always did well against Liverpool. In the cup, especially in the cup, we always seemed to have a little uh, one over on them in the cup games. They were more consistent than us in the in the in the forty two games. That's why they were champions. Um, but over the in the in the one off cup games, we've done really well against them. The seventy nine semi final is a classic example of going yeah. to a replay, and then the the, the Jimmy Greenoff winner. Yeah, which and, and I and I swear to this day, I thought John Motson was going to him combust from the inside. His his commentary just he just went up a complete another level. Um, but like you say, it's, it's one-off games that uh, United had their number on, um, just not quite enough over the course of a season. Yeah, um, it's funny enough, I can just interrupt you there. In them semi-finals, them three semi-finals we played in those three cup finals that we got to, we were underdogs in every semi-final we played and against the teams that we played, Derby County, Leeds and Liverpool. They were all favourites to beat us. Even the Leeds team at Sheffield, um, were supposed to be the favourites to beat us that day, but we beat them. David, welcome to the stream. Had a few issues getting on our here. Definitely um, had a few issues. Yeah. So, you know, you would you would have followed the Docks team throughout the seventies. Um, what are your memories of of, of watching Sammy um, during during that period? What are your? I mean, I'm only repeating things you've already talked about, but I was in the city for your first game, Sammy. Normally, the Kip Acts was divided in City and United, but I was in the opposite side, and there for your first game. And you were electric. The atmosphere was electric. And when you scored that opening goal, I mean, I went, we all went apeshit. It was simple as that. And just your energy, your enthusiasm, the goal you scored, the one you laid on, was fantastic. We thought, here is a, another United great player. I thought the pressure at the time were unfair to say, is this the new George Best? That's an unfair label. But the yeah. skill and energy you did have was unique to you. And I remember that. And I think the following game, uh, you scored when we beat Spurs 3-1. But if you remember, in those days, we always beat Spurs 3-1 at home. Yeah. Away could be either way, but at home we always beat them 3-1. Uh, I remember some great games. I think there's a league game against Liverpool. Was it 77-78? You scored. We won 2 0 Wasn't that the game when Ted McDougall also scored a great goal? Uh, was it that? Do you remember who scored with you? I don't. I don't think to be. I don't think to be honest with you. I don't think Ted McDougall played that game. That that game. I, I, I think with, at Old Trafford, I got I got a volley from inside the box from a Chris McGrath uh, Chris McGrath uh, cross. Um, I'm not too sure who got the first one, and that, if that's the two 0 you're thinking about, but I don't think Ted McDougall played that day. That was a different two 0 against Liverpool. Any two 0 against Liverpool is, is, is fine by me. Um, I'm sure you talked about the great games like you just did against Liverpool, but I was also at Wembley two years later in the famous when you against Arsenal. Everyone said Arsenal played better. Liam Brady, I thought we didn't play that bad, but they were two 0 up. And thought of strolling. And five minutes from the end, I think Cross came in from Jordan and McQueen got it all the other way round. And then no, you that, did, That's yeah. right. 
Garden from a Queen, that's right. And then you did that amazing run. And I was at the United end. And when that goal went in, I tell you, it was incredible. I've heard noise with United, but at that, up to that point, that was the greatest. I, we couldn't believe it. And like a scene out of a movie, Arsenal were dead and gone. And all yeah. they wanted was kick off and die. And the ball just happened to go to the left. And they just happened to cross it. And Lennon Sunderland just happened to kick the ball into the bloody net. I, we couldn't believe it. If you'd have been at our end, from total ecstasy to, ah, uh, and then the final whistle. And within a few minutes, I looked around me. It was like dead, dead bodies everywhere. We could not believe. It was like a blow-up doll had been shot. You know, you just cannot believe the carnage, you know. But that's football. It takes yeah. the highs and lower lows and anything on the planet. But how yeah. did you feel after scoring what you thought got us back into it and what happened 90 seconds later? How did you feel? I was like, um, thank God McQueen came out with a statement, which is ever so true. It's like, um, you've won the pools, but you forgot to put your equipment in. Oh, yeah. And that's how we felt. Because you just touched on it there that, I looked at those players that I mentioned before, Pat Race, Nelson and Jennings, who were new with the Northern Ireland squad. They were absolutely deflated. They could not believe what had gone on in a matter of minutes. And, I'm, you know, we're all overjoyed. We're all up for it. The crowd's mm -hmm. roaring. And uh, we just lost total, uh, I'm not, I don't know why it's concentration or whatever. But we hadn't got anyone in that team, uh, including myself, to bring Brady down. Just bring him down. Yeah. yeah, somebody just bring him down. Little Mickey had a little snip at him. Louis had a little snip at him, but he sort of got past that and then fed it to Rex, who crossed it. And let's be fair, I mean, Big Gary should have done better, but I won't go into that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Sunderland slides it in, but uh, oh my god, that's the worst feeling uh, from being on top of the world to the end of the world in a matter of a yeah. second. Incredible. Um, we, we talk a lot, I'm sure you talked a lot about Liverpool. I found that during like the 70s and 80s, um, they were, as you just said, the most consistent team. But we always seemed to do them in the league. And yet, we always did them. Yet Everton were our bogey team. They always did us. Yeah. Is it, did the players feel there's a certain sequence of game? No matter what you do, you'll always win or you'll always lose. There's certain teams you played against, yeah. how you played. Yeah, you, you were coming away with nothing. Uh, there were certain grounds like that. I always remember um, Ipswich was one of those grounds for us mm. over the years. But, uh, yeah, we did, as you say, we did always well against Liverpool, especially in cup competitions. Consistent enough in the league. Um, we dropped points against, you know, stupid teams, silly teams, where Liverpool just steamrolled teams. And that's why they won more championships then. Uh, than what we did, but uh, yeah, they were they they were. I I actually think, and I said this to Wayne, uh, with the duck after winning it in '77. I think if the duck had stayed on, maybe added a couple of players to that squad that we had. I think we were ready to push Liverpool all the way for anything league. Yeah. I think we could have done that. Yeah, because the team was a young team full of energy as well yeah. as skill. All yeah. needed maybe one or two hard centre-backs just to congeal it. But the team was beautiful to watch. We loved watching. Even when you, you lost occasionally or we drew, it was still a wonderful game. Yeah. 
and that is what we miss. That's why we often said during the second division, that's one of the greatest time for United fans. It was a joy to watch. We took over towns. It was the whole complete thing. Yep. Um, but that season, what season for you was the most important, most enjoyable to play in? Well, to be honest with you, uh, we, we, I, I touched on it before when we got relegated. Getting back into that second division, uh, from the second to the first, that second division campaign was was unbelievable. Uh, football that we played home and away, and some shocking grounds we went to, um, really desperate dressing rooms. Uh, they made it hard for us, giving us balls that were blew up so hard you couldn't kick our head or warm up with them. They were shocking. The bats were terrible. Oh, they did everything to do to try and upset us. But on the field, the football in the second division was absolutely unbelievable. Then the season after, our first season back in the first division was a joy to play in as well because we just continued our form from the second to the first division and took a lot of teams by surprise the way we played. Uh, so the, the second division uh, coming out of it in the first season back was great to play in. Fantastic. I remember the first season back. The first game was Wolves away. We took took over the whole of the South Bank. We won 2-0 away. That's and that right. Was a fantastic game. The first game back at Old Trafford was Sheffield United. 5-1. We won 5-1. And Tony Curry came to our end. We said, Curry, Curry, what's the score? Curry. And to be fair to him, he went 5-1. Yeah, yeah, you got it. So I like that interplay with the crowd. Did you do much interplay with it? Players, when you're so intense in the game, were you aware of the crowd? Did you react to it? Oh, the crowd, I mean, especially the Stratford end in those days was absolutely unbelievable. Um, the Stratford end got behind us from the first whistle. Well, well, since we ran out on the pitch, the roar from the Stratford end was absolutely unbelievable. Um, that always gave us a lift. Uh, the, the All the way through the game, they'd be singing. And the atmosphere at Old Trafford in them days uh, when we came back was absolutely brilliant. And so the crowd definitely gave us a lift and they were behind us 100%. Um, but the, I must admit the football that we that we played in that first season back was, was, was breathtaking at times. Yeah, ending up third. But it was inconsistent because the Sheffield United game was great. The following home game, we just drew one all with Coventry. There yeah. were ups and downs. Um, yeah. How, how would you, what would you have done if you were a manager? What would you have done to improve that team to bring the consistency along with the brilliant football? Well, yeah, yeah again, again, I think you would have looked at uh, certain areas of, of the team and, and and maybe just try to add a couple of uh, players. If you said you added three right down to Spain, whatever, just to keep players on their toes, just to get a few experienced people in, but had to be able to play the way we played. They, it was no use just bringing experienced people in or, or somebody in who would just add to the squad. Mm. We had a special way of playing and these players that had to come in would have had to be able to adapt to the way we played. And I'm sure Tommy Dockery would have uh, would have had a big say in that and I think he would have he would have did that. And uh, Okay, it's ifs and buts and maybes, but I'm sure the Doc, um, it was full of it at the time, um, the, the, you as supporters, you, you, you loved the doc, you loved his personality. We were in the papers every day of the week. Um, and uh, it was great just to be part of that side at that time. In fact, the way you say about Tommy Doherty, players had to fit into our scheme. In many ways, it's what's happening today. 
Eric Den Haag has got a way of playing which again is with energy and the fitness and so on. So players coming in have to fit in with his strategy. And I think he's going to be as strict and on that. What is your opinion of what Eric Ten Hag has done so far? Well, he's definitely turned his, uh, turned his round. There's no doubt about it. I think you've touched on it there. I think we're a fitter side. Um, I think we're more organised. I think we can see a shape and what we're trying to do, which, which which is good for the players especially. I think he knows uh, the history of Manchester United. I think when he first came, I was impressed with his first uh, uh, press conference when he said, I know all about Manchester United, how to win and win well. I think I like to hear that from a manager. You know, we are scraping through some games at the moment and he knows that and he's not happy with that. I'm, I'm pleased he's not happy with that. Because I was always brought up with the like the likes of Busby's and the Tommy Ducks and people like that. If you win, you've got to win well. Sir Alex Ferguson carried that on as well. You know, if that team scores two, we get three. That's the way Manchester United have always been. And I think Ten Hag has got this um, in his mindset that that's how he wants the team to play. Yeah. And you as a manager, have you got a certain system or does it depend on the players? I read recently you've gone back to, is it Macclesfield again? Yeah. Um, how, how, I mean, what sort of system do you impose? How, what is your philosophy as a manager? And is it any different as it was for a player, from a player? Well, um, when I when I uh, first went into management, obviously my, my way of playing the game was the way we played, the, the team I played in under, as I say, Early on, uh, the way Sir Matt used to build build his teams up, the players he used to get, Tommy Doherty, the team I played in uh, uh, for for years, I loved the way that team played. I used to set, try to set my teams up the same formation, the same things we did in training. Uh, when we didn't have the ball, how to get it back, mm-hmm. pass and move, all the things that I was brought up with at Old Trafford, I took into my management and. Um, after you know, getting your 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 coaching badges and stuff, and going to see uh, how other uh, teams played, how other teams set up, I only had one way in my mind to play, was the Manchester United way, um, mm. and it, it worked out quite well for me. But as you touched on before there, and and I'm going to say is you have to even at even at the lowest level, you have to have the players to play the way you want them to play. Mm. So used to getting a cart horse in and trying to ask it to play. You, can't, <laughs> you have to have ability and know how we, we want to play. And uh, that's what I've always done to get those players in and who are capable of trying to play the way I want them to. Very good. Sammy, um, during, during, sorry, David. So, Sammy, okay. during the, um, while we've been live here, I've had some more comments coming through about memories of you from fans. Um, one of them was from Quay, Craig Windram on Facebook. Um, he posted a photo of, of yourself during a, a match day a few seasons ago. You spent 40 minutes chatting. You even remembered him from the Marlborough Snooker Club in town from the early 80s when him and his mate played doubles against you and Lou Macari a few times. Um, lots we of be, Super Sams. Lee Warhurst. Oh, yeah. Did they? Yeah, you like a bit of snooker. So, so Norman tells me. Used to love snooker. Um, I used to play with my big pal Norman Whiteside. Um, I used to beat him that much that he had to say, I've got a bad knack, I can play no more. That's so, not what he told me. 
but he always tells people that he beats me all the time, which is uh, that's exactly what he said. Sorry, Norman. <laughs> uh, Victor Victor Grady um, posted a photo of you on an eggshell that was painted on about 1980 by a young Welsh girl. Sammy used to live close to us when he was playing and chatted to him on a few occasions in the local pub. Darren, uh, this photo is incredible. Um, Daryl Gaskin, um, you scored for United at Old Trafford in his first ever game at home versus Villa in the 80-81 season and also your hat-trick versus Wolves. Alan Taylor says the brilliant Sammy Mack. For the life of me, I'll never know why they didn't win the league in that great dark era, which is the question we'll come to very shortly. Um, and Martin Spencer again says, ask Sammy if he saw bestie nutmegging Cruyff in the 76 Holland versus Northern Ireland game. Yeah, I played at that game. Um, we drew 2-2 at Holland. Um, and Niskins, who was a fantastic footballer, was trying to mark bestie man for man. And bestie just absolutely destroyed him. And uh, they were a cracking side, by the way, at that time. Danny Blanchflower was our manager, and um, we, we, we had a remarkable result in Feyenoord, 2-2. And Bestie was outstanding that night, absolutely outstanding. That wasn't unusual for Bestie, though, was it, to be fair, to be outstanding? And nutmeg people, he used to do it for fun. <laughs> yeah, John, John PC on Twitter says, he uh, I knew him from before his debut when he lived in lodgings in Stretford. What yeah. is his debut versus City at Main Road? Great player. Paul Smith, Super Sam, what a player, MUFC legend. Rob H, I was sta staying in Manchester with relatives, and one evening it was my turn to drive to the pub, of course. My relative Stan mentioned that we were picking Sam up on the way, thought nothing about it until Sammy Matt got into my car. One of my childhood heroes, true story. Um, Brian says, was at his debut against City in 71, in which he scored a great goal when George Best left the ball for him to shoot, a very skillful, entertaining and hardworking player who was a legend of the club. Uh, Tim Powell says, my first United hero and the obvious standout was Sammy's hat-trick against Wolves the day that Robbo signed. Uh, Craigie says, the hat-trick he scored versus Wolves sticks in my mind. Robbo signing on the pitch, 5-0 drubbing. Oh, and his Maisie run in the 79 Cup final, a proper United legend is Sammy. Um, I realise that time is getting on and we could sit here all night and, and chat United on football with you, Sammy. But I've got a couple of sort of quick-fire questions that I want to ask you and then a question that cropped up in last week's cast. So, in, in your career at United, in the 11 years you were there, who was the best player you played with? Well, obviously, I mean, come to mind, Bestie was my hero, my idol. Um, I loved him. Uh, as a man and as a footballer, he was genius. Um, and I love you. Um, I always mention him. But that to mention someone else, and I've played with some fantastic footballers at Old Trafford. I really have. But that, that, that 70s team that I played in, um, with Big Alec and goal right through, you know, the Green Offs, Martin Buchan, fantastic captain, Lou McCarry, uh, Stuart Pearson, Jerry Daly, Jimmy Greenoff, Coppel Hill, every one of them. I love playing with and I would never, ever, ever sort of try to, to take one of them out of that. You know, Brad Robson, when I played a, a, a bit of time with Brad Robson, was a great, great player. Um, but there's so many I played with, even in the early days. You know, we get best law chart and, you know, I played with Paddy Kern in the reserves, Lobby Styles in the reserves. I could go on and on and on and mention players that I played with at Old Trafford. But I enjoyed myself so much. With that 70s team um, under the dock, it was it was fantastic to be 
we all got on well together. The spirit was fantastic. Um, and it, as I said before, even everyone talks about that team, and rightly so. Who was the most underrated player that you played with at United? Someone that you didn't feel got the credit that they actually deserved? Oh, dear. That's, that's a good question. Um, underrated. Uh, I always remember a little uh, Irish lad, a little super sub called David McCreary. Uh, played with him in Northern Ireland and United. He uh, brave as a land for, for such a little lad. Uh, he could play centre forward. He could play right wing. He could play midfield. You could put him anywhere and he would have given you 100%. Um, but he just could never put a break regular into the team. But I remember him filling in for Lou McCurry and one of the, I think he's played in one of the semi finals. Maybe wrong with that. It, um, might have been Derby or something. Uh, but he, he, he always he came on in the finals as a sub. We placed Gordon Hill. But he was one of the players, no matter what he did, he didn't seem to get the credit what he did for the other players. Yeah. Um, he was, he, was, he was a fantastic little player to have in your team, full of heart. Unbelievable. If you could replay one match from your career, which one would it be? Oh, that's another crack. I'd love to play the 76 final again. And I know, know so. and know, and know now what I didn't know then, um, how to handle the game. I'd love to, I would love to put that game straight. Um, mm. But also my debut. I'll never, ever, ever forget my debut at Main Road. Never. Um, from the bus to the ground, to the, from Dave Hume Golf Club to Main Road, the actual game itself, 3-3, against the City Side, Bell, Somerby, Lee, Mike Doyle, Alan Oaks. Fantastic, fantastic day. I'll never forget. And the, the, the final question, and it was another question that came up last week, is had the situation with the doc been different, um, what do you think would have happened at United, had the dot been sacked when he was sacked, do you believe we would have won league titles? Do you believe we would have challenged for the European Cup? In your opinion, where I do you think we would have been? I honestly, honestly think we would have got better. That's that's my opinion. Some of my teammates might disagree with me, uh, but I think the doc, after winning that cup final, um, would have strengthened us. And we were at an age as well where we were coming into an age where all the players uh, would have been more experienced. Um, no high would have been better. Um, and I think that Doc definitely would have pushed Liverpool at the time all the way if he hadn't stayed on. I've got no doubt about that at all. He would have pushed us on, definitely. It's, it's the great what-if, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. mean, and, and, the, and the question will never get answered, but I'm sure that United fans have... Of you know of, of David's age and and uh, that followed you through the seventies would would probably agree with you that all the ingredients were there to you know, the, the team was young it was it was exciting yeah. it was attacking and with one or two additions in key areas would have pushed Liverpool um, into the early eighties. No so, question, no question about that for me. Brilliant, Sammy. Thank you so much indeed for coming on to the podcast this evening. Um, it's been an absolute honour. To, really? to have you on, you know, a, a, you know, it's not every day I said you get a bona fide United and Northern Ireland legend um, on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And um, I hope that, you know, we, we'll speak to you again some point in the future. Thanks very much, Ron. And David, Cheers, Sammy. Wayne, thanks very much.
Thanks, David. Thanks, Wayne. So this has been the second United Before Fergie podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Please like, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening back on your audio podcast, please be sure to leave a review. And we'll be back next Monday with another another podcast at 8.30. Until then, have a good week. Take care, everyone. And up United. Cheers. And... Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.